so uh, fundamentally, despite bumps in the road, um, China's going to be the most important country in the world for imported wine in the next 5, 10, 15 years. Hello everybody, this is Sid Patel from Beverage Trade Network. Welcome to the Wine, Whiskey and Wheat Show. Again, we are in Shanghai. I'm with Marcus Ford. He heads Wines of South Africa in Asia, which includes China, Japan and all Asian countries. Marcus, welcome to the show. Sid, lovely to meet you. Thank welcome you. to Shanghai. Thank you very much. So thanks for coming uh, over here on a, such a short notice. I mean, we've been jamming a little bit just before the show, uh, playing around with some models here in China. It's very interesting. Uh, on the macro level, China is still the future, I, I believe. Uh, and we'll just jam into the little questions I have, some, you know, some uh, bulk wine questions, some OEM models, uh, private label models, and generally just some tips for wineries. So Marcus, again, uh, on a brief, uh, you know, how, how's, how are things uh, with South Africa and what's the overall scene of the market here? Overall scene of the market this year is quite challenging, mm -hmm. I have to say. Um, imported category is down by about uh, 15 to 20%. Wow, that's a big number. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit of a correction. Um, trade wars uh, and sort of macroeconomic situations cause issues. Got I it. think that um, finally, actually, in China, there's been a little bit of consolidation around the number of importers in the game. Uh -huh. I think um, if you look back, um, you know, my time when I started, there were six importers in Shanghai. Wow. By 2006, there were 600. By 2012, there were 6,000, and now there are somewhere between 10 and 12,000 importers. Um, and one of the reasons that that's happened is that actually it's quite an easy business to get into. Uh -huh. um, and you know, as an as a entrepreneur in China, if you've got an interest in wine and you own a factory or a, a big business, for example, it was very easy to you know buy a couple of containers of wine, either sell it through your network of friends and business contacts, etc. Um, but with economic conditions being a bit tighter, those mm -hmm. sort of hobby businesses, if you will, mm -hmm. I think have, have started to fade away. So yeah. finally, some of those people who, I, mean, I was at a, at a conference the other day and, and a good friend of mine <laughs> said something extremely interesting, which was, you know, it's very easy to import wine to China. It's very, very difficult to sell it. Absolutely. And if you're giving it away as a gift or, or it's yeah. a commodity within your organization, it's a completely different thing. Correct. So I think there's a kind of, uh, maturing, if you will, of the industry that's happened quite quickly this year. Yeah, it must be a society sort of a status that I'm in the wine business and yeah. people must have started. No, Tell me sure. one thing, do you need a wine warehouse to get a wine import license or anyone can just... Uh, now the, there's, I mean, the logistics networks in China, so the capability of um, logistics companies who run warehouses. So you can use third party. Absolutely, logistics. very, very that, simple that's what, now. I mean, when I was in the wine business, uh, yeah. one of the most important criteria, a little hack here, what I used was I used Google Maps and I saw if they actually own a warehouse. Yeah, sure. Then you can trust your money and then you know that how serious the business is. No, right? it doesn't make any difference. So, There's a lot of very sophisticated third party operators who can do all of the sort mm -hmm. of hard yards for you. Got it. And actually, the last mile network from warehouse to customer is incredibly sophisticated in China. You, you can pretty much get most things within 12 hours if you live in a, in a big city and definitely 48 if you live anywhere else. So, like, how do you find uh, or filter these guys? Let's say there are 6,000 right now. Yep. Uh, how do you know that just this 500 matter? Because a lot of companies would be like, 
trade company or fishing trading or mm. things of that nature, right? Is there a way you figured out like, okay, this looks real? Are any criteria you know that? Look, I think trying to understand who your partner is here is pretty fundamental to um, the the opportunity, the risk and the opportunity, if you will. Um, so understanding what your partner's route to market is, is, is absolutely critical. Because Meaning the partner who imports here. Yeah. All who's right. buying the wine from you yep. and what's the purpose? Yep. And trying to understand a little bit, um, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but there are uh, an awful lot of wine is bought and consumed by one point of contact. Hmm. So I am the buyer at a big technology company in Shenzhen, for example, and we have 100,000 employees hmm. and we have a need for wine twice a year for our Middleton Festival event and our Chinese New Year events. And that's going to be 24,000 bottles, 36,000 bottles. And that's one person making a decision about one transaction yeah. and one event. Yes. Now, that's great if that person stays in that role forever. Yeah. And you've got a good relationship with that yeah. person. But if that person decides the following year that actually we're going to have um, I don't know, RTDs that are that are Chinese New Year yeah, party yeah. for everybody, yeah. then your business is not sustainable. Hmm. So, and that's that's okay. I mean, there's a ton of great business to be done in China on yeah. the basis of these huge clients who are non-wine people yeah. who are using wine in a certain way. Yes. But understanding the risk of, of is that a brand building opportunity? Is that just a trading opportunity? Yeah. You know what what, what is this Got that it. we're doing? I think and and a lot of <clears throat> a lot of producers. Yep. Whether they're bulk producers, private label guys, or brands very often <clears throat> don't have a clear picture of what their downstream distribution looks sure. like here. Sure. And, and that's fine. As I say, there's there's different ways of doing business in China, but understanding is this a five-year project, 10-year project, or is this a one-week project where we yeah. get this thing over the line and sell it, and then we'll go and see uh, Mr. Wong in yeah. three months' time to make sure that he was happy and he's going to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the nature of the thing. Super interesting. I mean, there are lots of models here, right? Yeah. Like, uh, so as is you as you say, downstream models. So one of the gifting model. Yep. What are other like channels you've seen uh, which are not uh, commonly talked about in the markets like US or UK, which is just like different kind of like omni channels which you've come across? Um, it's a very complex web. I mean, I think whoever your partner is in China, mm. understanding their network. Yeah. Whether that's uh, a medical medical equipment company, for yeah. example, which has hundred thousand downstream customers. Wow! For example, who may drink wine Doctors once or twice a year. That, yeah. Okay, that's a massive, you know, sure. potential audience for your wines. Or is this, you know, the tech company I mentioned yeah. buying wine twice a year for a specific event? Yeah. Now, what's the what's the risk, or what's the opportunity mm. downstream of developing that relationship, developing that? to grow an e-commerce company for example which might be a startup yeah only has 500,000 customers now but they're good customers if that e-commerce company has got the legs to grow to a three to five million case uh, customer base yes then you know the opportunity is exponential you yep. look at we, we were discussing the Wajo model recently yeah they've gone from being a startup B to B to C organization effectively mm -hmm. online from zero to I don't 
don't know what they're at now, but 800,000, maybe a million cases of wine a year. Fantastic. In three years. So understanding who your partner is, yep. understanding their ability to scale yep. or not is, is absolutely critical to, mm. to how you approach the China market. So I think we were just uh, in chat with uh, Mr. Nixon Chung, right? So he said mm. B to B to C. Yep. So you write down all B to B to C and then work what the B is and then connect the dots and work which the final B is. is. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then I think uh, don't try to uh, make one thing trying to fit everything. I would make like 20 different projects and different wines and I think, target that C. Sure. I mean, I think it, you know, who, who ultimately consumes the wine is obviously very important. Um, but, you know, who's in the decision making process? What levers can you push yeah. to to support your partner to sell more, yeah. for example? Mm-hmm. And sometimes there are no levers to push. Yeah. And that's fine as long as you understand that's part of the process of understanding who your partner is. So and there is there is also conventional distribution here. Absolutely. So, it's so, I, mean, so I mean, if I, you know, when I used to sell uh, in the States, uh, it's only one question which normally is, required which is how many retail stores or restaurants do you sell into sure there are no other sort of channels which is just like small things right so i think you've been repeatedly saying partner 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 uh how important it is to have a foot on the ground here um look i mean i i obviously i i spend my time trying to support south africa south african wineries coming to china um whether they're here already or whether they're looking for market access and really one of the first things that I say to them, you know, when they're considering an approach to China is, you know, if you if you start this process and you're serious about China, you need to see your customer, your partner, two to three times a year at a minimum. Now, if that's you coming to market three times a year or you coming to China twice a year and them coming to see you. You think that's a cultural requirement? Like they prefer if to meet in person if rather want, than email? Yeah. I've heard stories like that. Emails are being checked here once every three months. Yeah, correct. So guys, no, forget e- about emails. E- email is not is absolutely not recommended in any way, shape, or form. WeChat is the most personal form of communication, but it's replaced email basically for, uh-huh. for people in China now. Um, but yeah, that face to face. If you're serious about having a long term relationship yes. and and really trying to build the China market, yeah. you need to be seeing your partners twice a year three times a year, ideally. Mm. And the success stories, um, you know, that I've, I've been a witness to over the years are very much about that. The yeah. guys who've been, you know, doing the hard yards in China and spending spending time right. with their partners in their different cities, getting to know their organizations, getting to know their families even, ultimately. That those sorts of things are what makes business sticky here. True. So, it, and, and that requires some money yep. and some ambition. Mm and some drive to get it done. It's not an easy place to do business. Let's say I'm, I'm a small winery. I don't have much money, yep. but I have the ambition. Yep. Uh, I think uh, having a booth at a trade show is preferred or uh, having uh, 10 meetings on a nice dinner in a, in a Chinese restaurant and building that relationship. I would put my money there. Where do you think is the ROI? Uh, it depends on the where you are in that stage of the relationship. So if you, you've got first a, trip, let's say, you know, I'm just trying to build first trip, go do the shows, establish but a do network you think, of people. To, to, do you think to there are serious again. people at the show? These yes. days? I mean, there are so many shows happening. Uh, do you think still the, the important people are now walking or it's just becoming saturated? They don't care because suppliers are knocking their doors. You might not be seeing the decision maker at a show, but you'll be seeing people from within the organization who might be able to unlock the door of the decision maker. All right. So it's a long process. We're back. You know, people aren't 
going to the shows necessarily to transact unless they've got a mm. relationship going already. Um, but I'm not sure that there's a substitute for... Um, Trade shows. Not doing all of them. Sure. But I think, it, you know, in terms of establishing your network in China somehow, uh, I'm not sure that there's a better way at the moment. I mean, turning up without a... Um, without an agenda, without some meetings in advance is yeah. a complete waste of time. Mm. So you, you're not going to be able to literally knock on doors and, and figure out how to do it um, without spending some time in market or having a, a partner or a an organization that's going to support you when you get here. It's, mm -hmm. it's just too difficult. Fair enough. Uh, I think as far as the digital platform uh, goes, you know, a lot of friction that I think let, let's touch base on one more interesting thing. Uh, you showed me a slide of the uh, a deck. You know, uh, we're going to show you the deck while I'm talking. Sure. So uh, we sh you showed us the China culture, yep. some points, right? Can mm -hmm. you can you please talk to them about those three uh, little differences of the Western world and the China? Gosh, um, need the slide in front of me. I mean, I think understanding um, networks in. You want me to show you? No, it's <laughs> fine. But networks in Western organizations uh, tend to be quite. Uh, grid-like, yep. so you can you can figure out who to talk to and, yes. and who's at which level and how things work. Very often in China, particularly, it's more of a cobweb, a spider's web of connections, where um, you know ultimately there's there's a lot of different people in in the organisation that may mm. have an opinion. So that's one part of it. Um, and the second part of the, the the slide, I think, is just understanding who's the decision maker and who's the boss, mm. because finally, within all Chinese organizations, you'll figure out who the actual decision maker who's going to make a difference to your mm. to your business with mm. them. And I'll tell you a story. So <laughs> I was involved in a tender with a major Chinese airline um, okay. a number of years ago. For wines? For wines, mm -hmm. yeah. Which um, on the face of it was a very normal Western style tender. So price points, required volumes, um, countries of origin, et cetera, et cetera, for the whole program. I actually helped them to do it because they hadn't done it before. Mm -hmm. And and then a blind tasting panel and then a price negotiation yeah. and then, you know, onwards and off, upwards. Mm -hmm. So very exciting piece of business. Anyway, so the business started off in, in a good way. So we, we got a, a nice portion of the business with the airline. And it started, you know, as we predicted it would, which yeah. was great. Yeah. Uh, and then it started to slow down and some products weren't moving at all. And, and we just, you know, we were trying to figure out why. Yep. Anyway, it turned out that within the organization that the guys who made the platform for the tender mm -hmm. uh, were important, clearly, because they put the framework in place. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, there was another department mm -hmm. somewhere else in the organization. And these organizations are hundreds of thousands of people. Mm. And we'd had no connection with the cabin crew. And the cabin crew are actually the guys, ultimately, in this organization who were deciding which wines to pick up from the in warehouse to go to their flight. Understood. And so our business fell apart, basically. On that decision. Because we couldn't figure out who the people were in the organization that were actually making those day-to-day -day decisions to make yep. this thing work. And so, again, understand who the decision makers are. Ultimately, they're going to drive your business. It can all look very shiny and glossy yes. on paper up front, but ultimately you know, in the day-to-day, -day, what's yeah. actually going to drive this thing. Um, so that's one sort of lesson, I think. I mean, there's 
there's a boss and then there's people downstream of the boss who are actually going to make this thing work. Yep. And, you know, can you interact with those people? You know, how does this work in the long term? So that's those two slides. What was the third slide? No, I can't remember. Well, see, I think, uh, <laughs> uh, I think it was the, just one second. Oh, the straight lines and the, the squiggly lines. Yes. We'll show you. We'll show you. Uh, no, I think that's just the nature time, of... Time needed for yes. coming to it. Sure. So, um, I mean, using the airline analogy again, um, you know, the process of saying, here's the tender, you win the tender, yeah. off you go, it's done, is not really how things get done here. Yes. Um, it's a much longer process of um, not necessarily negotiation. It's more a warming up of the relationship to the point where things move faster. Yeah. Yep. And that's not a straight line. That's a very wiggly line and something that, again, you need to understand the energy required to to move things forward True. here I've and got, the patience. I've got my story on that. <laughs> patience and energy are, I think, two important things to you, understand. You're right. <laughs> uh, two, two words, I think, which I think is for sure patience. Number yep. one, it's coming again Absolutely. and again. And I think adaptability. Like, sure. Just, just like, it's not going to work. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, nothing's going to work. Nope. Just adapt to WeChat. Sure. You know? Yep. My story on, on that other uh, segment was, you know, I had a meeting with uh, this uh, gentleman who owns one of the big bottling facilities in Yantai. Mm. And we had been meeting for like fourth meeting, fifth meeting, and my patience was running out. So I had to say the US way uh, mm. to my translator that could you please ask him, what does he really want? Yep. And I'll tell him, what do I really want? Let's just start there again, because yep. we were just not Don't coming. Around in circles, yeah. So the reply, which he told the translator is, tell the guy to be patient. <laughs> it will take time here. It's going to take time. But that's okay. But again, you know, but the size of the prize yeah. is, is again considerable. And if you're it, at some point, you know, that there's definitely a point at which you shouldn't keep coming back because yeah. it's clearly not going to go anywhere. True, true. Uh, but understanding the risk on the other side too. Super. Uh, so let's, let's sum it up. Uh, what are some of the three to four things that you would want to tell South African wineries or in general overseas wineries trying to, you know, grow in China? So, uh, fundamentally, despite bumps in the road, um, China's going to be the most important country in the world for imported wine in the next 5, 10, 15 years. At, at what point? Who Agreed. knows? But you've got, um, I hope you show some shots of Shanghai to give, give people a sense yep, of the scale of this thing. Yesterday, we were in the French concession yeah. area. <laughs> and, you know, so you've got uh, a GDP growth of about 6%. You've got... Uh, currently, let's say 50 to 60 million people, yep. depends on who you read, who consume imported wine. If you just assume that those 50 to 60 million people, two things are happening. One, there's going to be more people who mm. are exposed to imported wine as time goes by. Mm. That population size will grow. Let's call it 6% because there's more people who've got the wealth available to get into what is quite a luxury yep. category. And let's say that the 50 million people who are consuming wine, imported wine on a re relatively regular basis, consume a little bit more. Yep. Start to do the maths and and this thing is not going to slow down anytime soon. Yeah. Yep. So number one, yep. it's going to be there. much bigger than it is now mm. and it's going to grow, you know, maybe it's going to be a steadier growth now because things have settled down, there's mm. less frantic get into the wine business because it's really easy, True. understanding how to sell it's really difficult first point um gosh second point uh would be um 
as we just discussed, the relationship thing. Yep. Um, you know, this is a market where you're going to have to invest some time and energy and a lot of patience yep. uh, in trying to figure it out. Yep. Uh, and if you, you know, come a couple of times and, and it doesn't work out, that's not necessarily because you've done the wrong thing. It's just because you haven't met the right people yet. Yes. So having that patience, that energy, that commitment to the market is very important. <coughs> I think, um, you know, once you establish a relationship with a partner or a buyer, um, you know, the ultimate experience for that buyer is going to be to spend time with you at your property where you produce your wine. So drawing that line, that straight line from the guy who's buying in a city in China, be it Shanghai, Beijing, could be anywhere, um, to give, you know, once you've built up a reasonable relationship and a business, yep. bring them to your place. Because showing them the country, particularly for, for me, representing South Africa, it's one of the most beautiful wine-producing places on the planet, yep. bar none. And sharing that experience with your China partners can only reinforce the relationship. So to me, those sort of three things, you know, um, it's going to be big. You need to come and spend time here and be patient. And once you do have relationships, nurture them. Yep. Because those relationships with your partners and buyers are the things which, you know, you you can't replace via a WeChat. Um, definitely not via True. email. True. And, and the other thing is to understand, um, I think that the the digital environment is totally different. And Absolutely. you, you know, for people who are, in a producing country, be it South Africa or somewhere else, um, uh, starting to learn um, how to use WeChat, for example, mm. is super important because that means that you can, you know, that your, your partner in China is not going to, you know, suddenly, you know, download a VPN and, and get Facebook because you they want to look at what you're doing. Forget it. They're too busy. True. And the digital environment is something where internationally you can engage with it yes and that shows a, again a level of commitment to the market yep. and staying in regular touch with your partners etc etc et so those those would be the kind of china basics from my perspective great thank you very much it's a great conversation Sid, thanks to so meet you. good thanks. luck thanks a lot Marcus.